0: Hello, I'm Charlie Zazera and welcome to the Coach's Voice CV Spaces podcast. Each week on a Monday at 530 we're joined by two highly qualified coaches live on Twitter Spaces to dissect one of the most interesting tactical points from the weekend's action. This week, we'll be analysing the FA Cup final and discussing coaching and taking penalties. This week, our guest speakers, we have a former Brentford and Morecambe midfielder, who is also the head coach of Play the Beautiful Game FC, Tamani Diagaraga and the former West Brom coach and now Rochdale assistant manager, Jimmy Shan. How are you, Tamani? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good stuff. Before, before we start, do you want to quickly tell us a bit more about Play the Beautiful Game FC? Yeah,
1: well, it's an academy that I've started with a friend of mine about six, seven months ago. In Arrogate, So, alongside me, we've got Mike Gallen, who used to play for Sheffield United, Bradford, amongst our host of clubs, and we're just trying to teach kids how to play the right way, really. Good stuff. You so say that's in Harrogate area? Yeah. It's in Arrogate.
0: And uh, am I right in saying you're doing your badges at the moment?
1: Yeah. I'm currently doing my B badges. I've literally just finished about an hour ago today, so I'm doing them this summer and hopefully I can have them
0: badges done by the end of next season. Good stuff, good stuff. Okay. Um how's it going, Jimmy? All things good?
2: All good, yeah. Yeah, just um enjoying a little bit of a break before we uh start the recruiting process. So hopefully I we'll get a chance to get a, a couple of days away and or a week or two away, but it's all focused now on our next season. But yeah, all good, thank you very much. Good
0: stuff. And how, how do you reflect on your guys' season?
2: I'm um, a little bit indifferent. So we were, um, when we first went into the football club, we had a had a big turnover, um, lost a, a key player in Ollie Rathbone at the start of the season to Rotherham, and then lost two midway in the January window. So two two big plays in Aaron Morley going to Bolton and Jake Beasy to Blackpool. Um, so it, it's been quite a, quite indifferent a season and a difficult season in terms of. The expectation from Robbie stockdale as, as a manager and myself as a staff we expected us to be top off the table and competing for the playoffs whereby we found ourselves having a bit of a bit of a scrap and a bit of fight at times but in terms of the process and the vision and the direction Robbie wants the club to go in um, I think the past year has been a success in, in implementing a certain structure in a certain way and, and hopefully with as I said recruitment in the close season hopefully we can uh, be a little bit closer to our to our goals uh, come August. OK, let's
0: get stuck into this, um, the coaching theme for this week then. Um, and let's talk about the FA Cup final. Um, Jimmy, do you want to start us off? What did you make of the game and the tactical battle between Klopp and Tuchel?
2: I think first and foremost, I thought it was a, a fascinating game and a great game. And, and certainly one that didn't reflect a nil-nil scoreline after 120 minutes. You know, both teams had had plenty, plenty of opportunities. And it was certainly, a, as I said, like an interesting game. I think from a tactical aspect um I think we all know how Jurgen Klopp prepares his teams tactically and his his ideology and likewise with Thomas Tuchel so I don't think there were any major surprises in in the tactical lineups or set ups I think for me Liverpool quite simply took took what the opposition gave them better than Chelsea did so certainly in the the open exchanges of the of the first 30 minutes um I think Liverpool caused Chelsea problems with Mane dropping deep to receive the ball. I think he got himself in areas where Thiago didn't want to really step into. Um, Chalobah really didn't want to come out his trap and step into, and and Mane got in some fantastic areas and got on the half turn and played forward. Um, I think if you look at how Chelsea set up tactically, from my observations, it, it looked like their back five was lopsided. So Alonso Alonso was was detailed to deal with Trent. And Rhys James, as the opposite wing back, was was detailed to deal with, deal with Luis, Luis Diaz. Um, and again, Liverpool recognised where the space was to when Diaz positioned himself narrow, narrow and came into the pitch. And Robertson provided the width on the outside. I think Liverpool took that space um, and recognised recognised where the space was to exploit. Again, with that detail on Rhys James looking to detail uh, Luis Diaz off without the ball out of possession. When Rhys James became a wing-back and had his offensive responsibilities on a turnover again, I Liverpool were outstanding at recognising the space on the, on the outside of, of the back three of Chelsea and in particular targeting Luis Diaz against Trevor Chaliba. So, I think in those early exchanges, Liverpool, as I said in a, in a quite simple phrase, took what the opposition gave them better and caused some problems. Chelsea, of course, had some opportunities themselves, more so from transitional play. Um, but it was interesting to, to look at Thomas Tuchel and how he, how he adapted tactically. So, my observations and, and whether this was towards the latter stages of the first half, it looked like Mount would, would deal with, um, with Robertson. At times, Mason Mount was, was positioned as a, as a secondary wing-back, if you like. And at times, Chelsea had a back six, more so second half. It looked like the message to Trevor Chalabra at half-time was to go in with, with with Mane and to try and strip Mane that space of receiving the ball on the half-turn and playing forward. Um, and Lukaku bumped off Jordan Henderson and looked to go and deal with Liverpool's two centre-backs with Pulisic coming in around Henderson. So it was interesting that, that obviously Tuchel had, had, had observed where Liverpool were hurting Chelsea and, and made the, the relevant tactical changes during the game. Yeah, I feel great great analysis there. I think Mane's been
0: brilliant, hasn't he, in that kind of new number nine position. And like you said, Luis Diaz had a lot of joy in between Chalabar and Bruce James. To Mane, what did you make of the game? I felt like it was a game of missed chances. Um, still a great game. Um, who do you think had the better of the chances?
1: Uh, I think Liverpool had the better of the play. But I think Chelsea had probably some of the better chances. I think Robertson had a great one that he hit the post with. But I think Liverpool were in total control of the game and Chelsea were more so looking to hit them on the counter.
0: Yeah, I think too, True, you got to give him credit. I feel like in the big games, tactically, he's always... I look back to that Real Madrid one and he, he all, I know they didn't win, but I thought he'd done such a good job. And I think just with Liverpool's determination and form they're in at the moment. They're just getting over the line in these big occasions. Um, Okay, let's talk a bit about penalties then, uh, which is the coaching theme. Obviously, it went to penalties. Um, Jimmy, in terms of taking the penalties, do you believe now... I'm just referring back to when Kepa came in for the League Cup final and obviously didn't save many. Uh, Mendy stayed in goal for this one. Do you think now... And I'm also referring to um, Southgate for England when he sort of bring on those subs. Do you think teams are going more statistically led in terms of which goalkeeper and players should be taking him now? Or do you feel you need to fill the game and what's right in that game for who should take him?
2: Yeah, I think there's a, I'm think not sitting on the fence, but I think there's a bit of both. Um, I think with, in terms of the amount of stats that you have available, if you're able to make positive changes to, to give yourself a better opportunity of winning, I think you do it. I think for me, you know, obviously cup competitions and penalty shootouts and cup finals, et cetera, if you've got subs and you're able to make a positive substitution, I think you do. it. It's no different to selecting your best 11. So if you've got a goalkeeper that's statistically better at at making saves um, or better mentally prepared for a penalty shootout, why not change him? Um, It's interesting, yesterday Loftus-Cheek come off and I I don't know if there's been any updates on it. I don't think he come off injured and was replaced by uh, Ross Barkley, you know, Apparent by everybody to because Ross were, you know Ross was going to be a penalty taker and 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 take a penalty. so for me, if you if you you can't just rely purely on stats and not just about penalties in any aspect of the game, you have to have that human feel to it. Of course you do. Um, but if you've if you've got stats and you've got information that suggests that player A is better than player B for that moment, then i, I I'm, I'm under the impression under the belief that you make those positive changes. Yeah, I was wondering with the Martin Noble situation earlier in the season, uh, when he came on,
0: I was thinking if West Ham get a penalty, would they do, do the same for yesterday's game? Um, Timani, I've sent you guys um, a really, really interesting thread on Twitter. Um, I don't know if you've got a chance to read through it, but it's fascinating to highlight the difference in how Klopp and Tuchel prepared for the penalty shootout. Um, Klopp knew exactly who was taking the penalties. He had a quick one-to-one with all of his players, made sure they knew what they were doing and if they're happy taking the penalties, gave them a hug. Whereas Tuchel seemed he weren't prepared, um, asking players who should take them. Um, What did you make of the two approaches? And have you ever been in a similar situation for a penalty shootout? I've been in penalty shootouts
1: and usually a couple of days before, you do practise penalties in training. So the manager and the players will have an idea of who should take penalties. So I definitely think that Klopp had the better idea and just to let the players know, look, you're down to take one, are you happy? And for every player, if they were happy to take one, then I think that's the best way to do it. Because I think asking in front of everyone on the occasions that big that some players might actually not fancy one at last minute, which means you have to
0: get someone else who might be, not have been prepared to take one. Yeah, it's interesting about the psychology of asking everyone in front of the group as well and not getting an honest answer. But, Jimmy, I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that in terms of the preparation for a penalty shootout or the psychology as a coach.
2: Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think also we can't um, overlook, you know, obviously Jurgen Klopp comes out with the phrase about mentality monsters. If you look at, at the extra time, Liverpool were ready before Chelsea. Chelsea were still recovering and having their legs rubbed and, and, and taking on hydration and fluid, etc. Liverpool were, were ready. So I think they get a small game there. And I also think that maybe, you know, with, with Jurgen Klopp and his staff being so prepared on, on knowing who the penalty takers are going to be, um, I also think they get a, they get a psychological edge, edge there as well. Because if I'm an opposing manager or opposing coach or player, and I look, acro- look across and you see that Liverpool are lined up ready already. Jurgen Klopp is very relaxed. I think that's also a, a little bit of a psychological and mental gain. So um, I think 100%, I think nobody would would disagree with this in any, any walk of life. If you have the opportunity to be prepared and you have that preparation, um, you, you, you go with it. And, you know, looking, at, looking and reading that, Fred, it's obviously apparent that, that Jurgen Klopp appeared to be more prepared than Thomas Tuchel on the day.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to talk about after extra time, considering Liverpool would have played slightly more games, but they're just <laughs> they're just machines at the moment, aren't they? So uh-huh. uh, we shall see how the end of the season pans out. But another game I wanted to touch on that where there was a penalty um, was West Ham versus Manchester City. I thought West Ham were brilliant in the first half, um, caught caught City on the counter attack, but to be fair to City, they bounced back. Tamani, did you get a chance to watch that game and what did, what did you make of it?
1: Yeah, I watched the game and I thought City were outstanding. And I thought West Ham defended World in the first half and got them two goals ahead. But I thought the way City played, it was only a matter of time till they got one. And once they got one so early in the second half, I thought, here we go. They're going to get a second one and a third one. The way they're playing at the moment, they're really hard to stop.
0: Have you ever been in a situation like that? That's that's what I was thinking at half-time. What is Pep saying to get him flying out the traps? Um, have you ever been in a situation when a coach has given a really good half-time team talk and you've been able to have the momentum to change a game?
1: Yeah, we had one this season. We played Doncaster at home, which was a six points and we were 3-0 down at half-time. And you'd expect the manager to go mad and everything. But the manager was saying, look, we're playing well. Just keep doing what we're doing. And once we get one, we'll get two, and then we'll get three. We'll get back into it. Don't panic and just keep playing your football. And we ended up winning 4-3. So I think sometimes you have to just, if you know you're playing well, you might not get a rub of the luck in the first half, but you have to keep doing what you're doing and hoping for an early goal, which then changes the whole momentum.
0: It's interesting. You're saying, you're saying your head coach was calm. I'd be interested to know if, if Pep was, but whatever he did, it worked um jimmy what what did you make of that what do you think pep would have been doing at half time um and then, and then leading on to the leading on to the penalty do you think for Mares the occasion got for him or do you think it was just a good save
2: i think going back going back to the the Pepper half time i think pep would have been disappointed with many aspects of of, of the way that city approached the game in, in saying that i think david mays had a had a bit of a masterclass of a game plan. You know, he's, they obviously, it was apparent they defended in a low block. They looked to strip City's strengths in terms of the room and, and, and the space that they had to penetrate, um, the room the space they had to get in behind. And the distances and compactness within within their units and within their within their team was fantastic. So, um, I think credit to David Moyes and, and his team for that. As you said, you know, when you defend deep, you're you reliant upon giving the opposition a punch somehow. West Ham had that with, with Jared Bowen, with his ability to run in behind. Antonio with his pace and power, and Lanzini with his creativity. So it wasn't a case that that West Ham had just set up a game plan to to deny. It was on the turnover. We're going to give you a punch, and we're, you know we're going to try and get down the pitch with with our pace and uh, with our pace, power, and quality. In terms of Pep, I, I think it would be just a case of, uh, of of getting into them and and improving the ball speed and the circulation and a bit more directness. I think you look at the stats. I think Man City had nearly eighty percent possession and had over thirty shots at goal. So um, you know, it, it was only a matter of time with Man with West Ham beg your pardon defending that deep and Man City possessing the quality they have, even in tight spaces to penetrate play through and having fantastic individual brilliance to go by people. It was only a matter of time that they would score and they scored at a good time and you know, and, and that momentum momentum was, was driven with them and, and, and a real, real purpose to to try and try and get the equaliser and, and then try and go and steal the winner. Good
0: stuff, good stuff. Okay. Tamani, I was interested to ask you, have you ever, I don't know if I've, I've asked this earlier, but I wanted to talk about players' perspective, taking a penalty in high pressure situation. Um, have you ever been in that situation? Um, how do you prepare for taking a penalty? Uh, was it right in saying Brentford won a penalty shootout in the playoffs a few years back?
1: Yeah, we did. I didn't take one. <laughs> did you not fancy it? I did, but we had better penalty takers at the time. Like I said before, we were doing it a couple of days before, and some of the boys were absolutely flying. So it was only fair that to let them take them, and they took us over the line that day. In regard to Mares, I don't think the pressure got to him. It was a great penalty and a great save. You know, if the keeper goes the other way, we'd be talking about how great the penalty was. So he just was a bit unlucky.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I fancied mares He's had a really good record for a while now. I know he missed one against Liverpool a few years back, but yeah, I think although it's a good height and when you compare it to Harry Kane's against Burnley this weekend, which is right in the corner. Um, but yeah, I think sometimes you do have to give credit to the goalkeepers. And Jimmy, I don't know, obviously there's goalkeeping coaches now, but if we're looking at it from a goalkeeper's perspective, how, how do they pre- prepare to face a penalty? Is there a lot of, a lot of analysis now?
2: Yeah, there is, yeah, there's there's lots available and um you know for for our perspective at, at Rochdale Football Club, we would have if there's information on on a, a penalty taker on his last five penalties and a trend, we'd have that information. That information would be printed off and go on to the match day bottle for the goalkeeper that would sit behind his goal. Um there's obviously lots and lots of video footage with technology this day and age, you can simply get that footage and and what's up it what's up it to the to the goalkeeping department. So I think there's lots and lots and lots of work on that, and actually, this discussion has has, has stimulated, my, stimulated my thinking. I think in reality, you know, a lot of the stuff is done via classroom stuff, and you know, he's an image. This is this is Mahrez, This is his last five his five penalties, for example. He's some video footage, but I don't actually think there's a lot of practical delivery. Um, I mean, certainly, certainly at our football club, I'm not too sure how many times our number one goalkeeper would face a penalty. In, in the working week. So I think that's maybe something that stimulated my thinking of, you know, goalkeepers have to, have to practice, you know, facing a penalty at some stage during their working week, because a lot of it, I think, is, is done in, in, in a classroom environment. Good shout. Yeah.
0: Tamali, do you think there's anything,
2: of, when we talk about the psychological aspect of taking a penalty
0: and you mentioned the players before your teammates are flying, have you experienced any way to psychologically, help you get a mindset where you're confident taking a penalty or do you just think it's practice, practice, practice?
1: I think practice definitely plays a part. But then once you're in a game environment and you get the penalty, sometimes you might get a player who actually doesn't fancy it for some reason or you might have someone who really fancies it. We had that again at Brentford where we had a penalty to go up against Doncaster in the last minute and Marcelo Trotta really, really fancied it. So he took the ball off our captain, ended up missing. So it was one of them you can't really blame him because he really fancied himself to put a penalty away, but he backfired. So I think it just depends on the day. If you're confident enough, then just to take it.
0: Was was that the one where he hit the crossbar and then Doncaster went out the other end? Yeah, that's the one. Oh God. He, he wasn't meant to take it. How did that conversation go in the in the change room afterwards? <laughs> Everyone was pretty quiet. And to be
1: fair, till this day, I don't have a grudge against him because I think you'd need to have the bottle at the end of the day to take a penalty in the last minute to send us up. And he had the courage to step up and fair play to him because I wasn't going to step up.
0: So I can't say anything. And do you think, just one more question I had on taking the penalty, does it matter about what end you are? I mean, I think Chelsea won the toss and it was down the Chelsea end. Didn't seem like it bothered Liverpool players too much.
1: See, I, w- I would rather go away from your fans. Really? Yeah. I think That's there's fun. more pressure in front of your fans then. Because in front of the away fans, you're expecting the booze and everything. That's just comes with it. But in front of your own fans, you might get a bit more pressure to deliver. That's just my
0: thinking. I could be wrong. Nah, no, interesting. Oh, okay. Okay. And Jimmy, from a coaching perspective, have you ever had experience of being in a penalty shootout and how have you and the staff
2: prepared for that? Yeah, well, I was um, caretaker manager at West Brom for the playoff semi semi-final three years ago against Villa. So, they obviously concluded in a, in a penalty shootout. Um, in terms of preparation, within the working week of, of, of the calendar year, so Graham Jones, when he was on the on the staff at West Brom, he would take corner takers, free kick takers and penalty takers and they would practice... Um, every match day minus one, it was religious. So, Jay Rodriguez was a was a penalty taker for West Bromwich Albion. He'd have three penalties every match day minus one, on a whistle. Um, you know, in a in a in a controlled time environment. So it wasn't a case that we were just coming together and and the only practice for a penalty was in gear for the playoff semi final. With preparation for that, we had we had two practices. So we had one before the first leg. And then, obviously, one between the first leg and, and, and the second leg, knowing that full well, if we, um, if we were to score a goal, the game would finish uh, level and it was going to, go to potentially go to penalties. It was an absolute disaster, if I'm honest with you. We had um, a penalty shootout in a controlled environment. So, we had five selected penalty takers for the first team, five selected penalty takers for the 23s. We did it properly, staff on the side of the pitch, players on the halfway line, collect your ball, do the walk to the, to the to the penalty spot on a whistle. Um, everything was done as as you know as as close to the, the the actual rehearsal as we possibly could. We ended up losing, getting beat by the uh by the under 23s. Jonathan Bond, who was number two goalkeeper at West Brom, was in goal for the 23s and was outstanding. He was it was it uh, was outstanding goal. He made a couple of saves. Our key key penalty takers um, didn't score, didn't convert. So. From my perspective and a staff perspective, after doing that, we were like, blimey, you know, have, have we, have we done the right thing by rehearsing these penalties? Um, you know, it's been a bit of a disaster. Our penalty takers hadn't converted. Our goalkeeper hadn't made many saves. The number two goalkeeper put a, a question of that in my mind, if I had a sub available, would I change the goalkeepers in the penalty shootout? So it was a bit of, bit of a disaster. In terms of the actual penalty shootout, um, in terms of his interest in the article that you shared earlier, with with Klopp's approach and Tuchel's approach, we were prepared for our penalty takers to be on the day: Chris Brunt, Matty Phillips, Stefan Johansson, and Jay Rodriguez. None of those four players were on the pitch on the penalty shootout. So Chris Brunt got sent off in in the 80th minute. Um, Matty Phillips, Stefan Johansson, and Jay Rodriguez didn't 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 stay on the pitch due to fatigue, stroke, injury for penalties. So we actually had a rehearsal of, right, then these are going to be our five main penalty takers. He, he, here are the guys. That's what we've prepared to going deep into extra time with 10 men and playing for 40 minutes with, with 10 men to so me having to be, I suppose, a little bit Thomas Tuchel in terms of getting the lads in a huddle and seeing who was able physically, because obviously they have been stressed and fatigued for, for 40 minutes, who mentally was prepared, and who had the old the old phrase who had the bottle to step up and take them so we were as as underprepared for that penalty shootout as we possibly could be and um, the result is is there to see you know we, we lost I think we ended up losing four three we ended up having two three defenders take penalties we missed our first two penalties so yeah I, I have experienced it obviously in a, in a in a real real pressurized environment and as I said the preparation beforehand because we had we had limited and um, uh, limited success with our conversion. Um, was 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 deemed a, deemed you know a failure from from us as a staff and, and obviously the, the preparation went right out the window come come match day because of not having the, the penalty takers on the pitch. Fascinating
0: insight about the preparation and obviously anything in a game of football can happen. But no, thank you for that. And uh, uh, looking back, and obviously we've got coaches listening in. Is there any advice or anything that you would have? Done maybe differently, or any advice you could share on how you'd h- help your players get get ready for a penalty shootout going for going forward?
2: I, th- I think I think it's I think it's difficult. I think you you can't as much, as much as you try and rehearse and try and recreate an environment, you you can't do it. So the you know that 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 word pressure that's out there, that gets thrown thrown and branded around a lot. Of course, there's going to be something on it. I actually think players at elite players in the championship and elite players at Premier League level. I think I think they adopt that that, that Liverpool mentality. I think they're, they're mentally so strong. I think there's only distraction can creep in. So it's that ability to hit reset, and I think that's um, that that's a skill that only the individual can can face. So if, if I go back to that penalty shoot at West Brom Villa, Mason Holgate took the first penalty. Jed Steer, Villa's goalkeeper, walked all the way down from the halfway line alongside Mason Holgate, like as close as you possibly could be. That wasn't pressure on Mason. It was a distraction. Now, Mason, ironically, Mason was one of our better penalty takers. So he would be one that would stay around on a on a match day minus one and have a penalty or two and you know and, and try and try and coax the the staff to get Jay Rodriguez off the penalties and, and, and put him in front. Honestly, I, I would have I would have bet my mortgage on Mason Holgate scoring a penalty on, on that day. So something happened on that walkway with Jed Steer that was a distraction to Mason and, and he failed to hit reset. So the rehearsal is, is, is difficult. The only thing that I would say is that from a from a mental aspect, just be committed and whatever your decision is, commit to it. So, you have some penalty takers like Jay Rodriguez would be. He's committed to, to having a trend of a penalty in, in terms of direction. He goes a certain way nine times out of ten. Stick with it. Some penalty takers wait for the goalkeeper to make the first move and then slot, commit to it. So, whatever... Whatever your decision, when you spot the ball, don't change it, commit to it. And then from a te- technical aspect, it's just about contact. You know, it's about contact, right part of your foot, right part of the ball and, and trying to hit the ball as clean as you possibly can. So um, I guess I'm going to contradict myself now. In terms of rehearsal, in terms of the environment, you can't rehearse that. But in terms of your technique and the repetition, you most certainly can. So I think if you're a penalty taker or a likely penalty taker, I think that 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 ability to devote some time within your working week to rehearse your technique, um, your, your technique and your trend, I think, is of paramount importance. Yeah,
0: I remember that. I remember it well. Now that that walk between um, Jed Steer and uh, Holgate, and yeah, it was interesting when it happened. It happened at FA Cup, did it? There was a delay after was it ZH after a flare got put on the pitch. So yeah, those distractions. And when you when you say about kind of. Practising that technique, that's why I think Harry Kane's up there. I mean, we were talking today, the last penalty he missed was in 2018. And I think it doesn't matter where he puts it. He's so accurate that no, no goalkeeper is going to save it. So, no, brilliant insight there. So, thank you for that. Um, and to Marnie, I just wanted to ask, who is the best player um, that you've seen or worked with that has taken penalties and who's the best goalkeeper?
1: The best goalkeeper, I'd have to say Richard Lee. Richard Lee was really good at saving penalties. I remember a penalty shootout. We played Everton in the Carling Cup. And I think he saved about three. At least three or four in that. He was really good at pens. And penalty takers, I would probably have to go with Adam Forshaw. Nice. He was really good. Couldn't hit the ball
0: clean. He was a very good penalty taker. Uh, good choices. I've definitely seen a few, a few um, penalty saves from Richard Lee at Vicarage Road uh, for Watford. Tamani, uh, similar to the last question, but are there any standout coaches that you've been inspired by or that you've worked with um, that has kind of inspired you to be, look to get into coaching yourself?
1: Yeah, I think one of the best managers I've had was probably Matt Warburton. I thought it was really good. The way he wanted to play his sessions, his man management was up there for me. And also Stephen Robinson, who was was with us and went to St Mirren. I think his attention to details was really, really good. Something that I've never seen before. We would spend half an hour on throw-ins, just how to retain the ball and switch the ball. So his attention to detail was something that really impressed me.
0: Good stuff. And we we've actually done a we've actually uh, this season we've done some we've done a masterclass with Mark Warburton who's obviously not not going forward with QPR now. But what was it about his man management and that part of the game, communicating with players? Obviously, I feel like it's it's changed in the modern game. But why why is Mark so good with with communication?
1: Because I think he had the way of keeping all the players on board. So whether you was starting on the bench or not in the squad. Yeah, the way with all the players that everyone was coming to training and buzzing about, really putting a shift in. Because I think mean, sometimes I've been a, where players kind of get disregarded by the manager or so they come to training, they don't really give their hope. Whereas with him,
0: everyone was on the same page and uh, it was very good. Jimmy, I want to kind of put you on the spot, but we've now partnered with Sports Session Planner. So... Um, really good tool for creating sessions and uh, really I wanted to ask could you give us any standout sessions that you you like to put on something that the players like or anything that you you like delivering? Yeah, I think
2: I think I'm probably I probably like the the tactical delivery more than anything so your 11v11 stuff and your your phase and your function stuff because obviously working at first team level that's that's what you relates to to your game model and your identity so I would i would like that in terms of generic sessions and, and sessions that that players like players always like transitional sessions where the where the ball stays live um, directional sessions so it has a purpose um, you know so it's not a a, a, a keep ball a rondo for for example for, for keepsake there's a direction and a purpose and a structure because again i think that can relate relate back into your game model and of course players players love everything with a you know with a, with a that's game orientated you you attacking, overload your three v twos, where there's going to be lots of opportunities for defenders to to block and to steal and and to deny nice goal scoring opportunities, and you know for the attackers to to, to be offensive and be creative. So um, yeah, from from my perspective, I think, and I've probably evolved. I probably as a as a younger coach, it was probably more about trying to find a way of entertaining the players. As I've progressed and I've developed, you know, I've, I've probably I probably enjoy more so the the tactical delivery.
0: That's it for this week's episode, but if you are a coach yourself, you may be interested in our very own coach education platform, CV Academy. Aimed at coaches at all levels of the game, it helps them develop through premium coach-focused content delivered by a growing network of elite academy and grassroots coaches. You can find loads of great content on there, including our latest coaching course with Blackburn Rovers coach Dara Tuffy, who takes the under-18s through a series of four-match preparation practices with pressing work. We're also currently running a special offer where you can get 40% off CV Academy until the Champions League final. All you need to do is use the promo code Champions40 at the checkup point when signing up. And finally, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back next week with more top-level coaches analysing the biggest talking points in the elite game and sharing best coaching practices, advice and insights. If you want to join the next CV Spaces Live, then drop us a follow on Twitter at Coaches Voice. Finally, a big thank you to our guest speakers, Tumani and Jimmy, and thanks to everyone who listened in.